Do you want to see a decrease in the probability of school shootings, teen suicide, bullying, classroom behavioral problems, and an increase in a safer school environment, happier students, higher student grades, better homeschool relations, higher teacher-staff satisfaction, and the success of all students? Then tune into Uncommon Sense Children and School with David Wilson. Now, here's your host, David Wilson. Hello, listeners. Tonight, tonight we're going to switch things up a little bit. I have a wonderful guest to share with you. Uh, her name is Dr. Mary Murphy Fox. Uh, Dr. Fox has a Bachelor in Arts uh, for Special Education and Elementary Ed, Master of Arts in Special Education, PhD in Human Development Instructional Leadership. She has 16 years teaching special education, gifted education in sixth grade. She has 22 years in special education administration as a director of special education, director of federal programs, and director of early intervention. She's an adjunct professor at Marywood University, Misericordia University, and Keystone College, all in Northeastern PA. She has extensive research and theory of mind skills in young adults with autism. She developed a SOAR program for young adults with autism at Marywood University, which is a students on campus achieving results. She's published in Pennsylvania School Administrator and Chicken Soup for the Soul. She's currently a special education advocate and consultant and compliance monitor for the Pennsylvania Department of Ed and Bureau of Special Education. Uh, Dr. Fox is available for school districts and also to represent parents as an advocate when they're having difficulty navigating the public school system. Our contact information is foxmm2004 at yahoo.com. That's foxmm2004 at yahoo.com. And I want to tell you that, you know, we all have, uh, you know, at some point in our careers or jobs, we cross paths with people that inspire us and motivate us to just do better and be better people and do better work. And we'll always remember a certain number of people that just for their knowledge, their talent, their teamwork, their professionalism. And Dr. Fox is one of those people to me. And in full disclosure, we worked together many years ago. Uh, Mary, I know you're on there. <laughs> it's probably about 23 years ago that we met and uh, did some good things together. And I'm going to you know, remind the, the, the listeners to the call in number is one eight eight six two seven six zero zero eight. And uh, the book that kind of got me going on this show is Uncommon Sense Children in School. You can find that on Amazon. And we're going to talk to uh, Dr. Fox, and anybody can call in and ask uh, she or I any questions they'd like. And we always remind people to not say school district names or personnel names, and we're here to grow and not be vengeful. So please keep that in mind and heart. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to introduce Dr. Fox. How you doing there? Hi, how are you? Uh, Good. It's great, great to be on your show and hope we have a lot of listeners out there. Uh, it's always great to have a conversation with you about our favorite topic, 
children our greatest asset and how we can ensure that all students get what they need to be successful in all of our public schools. Well, you you know that as well, you know, or better than most people, Mary, for the roles that you've played in the school system. And I remember what I've been talking about on this show, you know, for uh, uh, I think closing in on three months now, every two weeks, you know, really about the, the teamwork and the challenges of teamwork and how everybody needs to step up. And I really I don't know if I have a better example of that than uh, when we had worked together and the things that we've done. And I think maybe you can speak a little bit of that uh, about the teamwork necessary from your perspective and in your career, how that's important to you and, and what you felt you needed to do to really get people on board. Well, I feel that uh, for a school to be successful, it starts with the leadership at the top and that filters down. And so during my career, I was in 10 different school districts. Uh, because I needed a team to work with that was going to support me. And so often there's confusion with leadership and people aspiring to be leaders in schools, such as principals or superintendents, but their main motivator is to acquire power. And uh, that makes it very difficult for those of us that are in the education business for the right reasons, doing what's best for children. And sometimes those people uh, at the top are not willing to support what you're trying to accomplish. So innovative programs, or even if it's something that a child with a disability, one child may need an accommodation. Um, I know in my career, I ran into many brick walls, but uh, that being said, I didn't stay in those districts because it was extremely frustrating. Well, and, and what you're speaking of, and and I remember specifically what what I what I saw you go through, and what I've seen in, throughout my career is women in leadership positions. And I'm not saying all the time. And there's certainly some wonderful school districts out there that this, they they the, the leadership and the board really looks at the person and not the gender. But we do know that there are, you know, good old boy networks out there. And unfortunately, one of the sure sure ways to destroy a school district is for the board to get wrapped up into that and maybe, you know, consciously or inadvertently support, uh, you know, that kind of uh, environment. And I know you were in it and it was heartbreaking to see, but we still prevailed in our work together and I moved on as well uh, because we do have to find matches for our gifts and our talents. And and if we're not going to be allowed to do those because, uh, you know, the powers higher than us won't won't allow it, then we do have to move on. And, you know, uh, I wish them all well when I made decisions to move on. And, I you know, I, I would usually say my piece and it was always, you know, focused on how they could make things better. And sometimes really hard decisions need to be made when you come into those roadblocks. But uh, I, I think, you know, for the listeners that are out there uh, on a leadership area and maybe, you know, even people on the front lines, teachers and, you know, workers within the school system, direct care workers, they can see it as well. But certainly 
people in leadership positions uh, can see when that's gone awry, and, and particularly women. Uh, uh, a lot of times can feel that happening before even even good men alongside of them may not see it. Uh, you you just have to be aware of it. But you still you still conquered and did a lot of good things in that environment. Well, thank you. Uh, I agree with you. It, it's still difficult for women. Uh, I think more so than men. Uh, but now we're going into 2020, and you and I are talking about the 1980s, I think, when we first met. And so uh, I did finally retire, but stayed in the same business, which is my passion. Uh, how can we make things better? Because my motto in whatever school district I was in was you can always make the best better. And I'm not referring to just children with disabilities. I'm referring to all children. Every child That's right. the best possible education they can get. So in teams, as far as teams, I think uh, teams struggle because of the hierarchy that's in school systems, in some school systems, not all school systems, but it starts with the superintendent and then the principals that surround him and then the assistant principals and then the guidance counselors and the teachers and paraprofessionals and cafeteria aides and bus drivers, but what happens is the team becomes an administrative team consisting of that superintendent and the people he surrounded himself with, and they would be the principals. So these other people who are very, very important to a student's five hours in a, a school day, the bus drivers, the paraprofessionals, all need to be part of a team working on behalf of children. Oh, oh, yes. My my listeners have heard that before. But I will say in my recent history, and I've been out of the field for a while uh, directly, but in my recent history, it was a, uh, a female leader in a certain part of the school district that really, it was odd because it was the first time I experienced that, uh, that outward need for power over over everything else. And it was very sad to see. And I actually did like the person, and and I just could not break through those barriers to get that, get that, maximize that teamwork. Uh, and, and again, she, that person merged in with the superintendent and a couple other leaders, and it was really a, a kind of an anomaly because she became a good old boy in the system, and uh, and and really did a lot of intimidating the people and you know i've never been one you you know me i was i've never been intimidated by by people and humans and it was just sad to see but really exhausting and i don't know if people when we talk to the listeners and we say like if you're surrounded by a team that's not functioning well or leadership issues and stuff it is it's taking away positive energy and everything you need to deliver your your talents and your skills and your knowledge to the kids that are standing right in front of you. Like you said, whether you're a teacher, an aide, a bus driver, a kitchen worker, a secretarial staff to cross his paths with children, it sucks the energy and the life out of people. And the reason they're there in that school system is primarily to make sure that school runs smoothly for the children's safety and needs. And when you have that kind of uh, dysfunction, 
on, on, on a higher level, it really hurts everybody. And, you know, it's a tough one to resolve. I, I kind of, I think board members really need, need to be very, very active. And, and the other thing we need to know is board members aren't always voted in because they're the most knowledgeable people about education. They're voted in because they have some kind of power within the community. And some of them may have good education skills and they get in that way, but not all. And, and a lot of times that's where some of the problems start is the politics of boards and who they're hiring and uh, who, they're, you know, who they're hiring and firing, you know? Well, absolutely. Uh, as a director of special education, I did the interviewing uh, for the hiring of teachers and I had a scale that I used in a point system and then recommended the top three candidates to the superintendent, and I felt pretty strongly on how I had vetted these people and who I wanted to select, and then when I would present those names to the board, I would find out that there was someone else that wasn't even interviewed that I absolutely had to hire, but what I would do then would be leave that district. In fact, one district, I took a $15,000 pay cut to leave. Uh, because I cannot function in that type of a system, and uh, I feel that I have the gift of this passion to do what's right in education, so I would move on and uh, try to make a difference individually wherever I was. Well, and we'll update, we'll update the listeners on this, too, and this is not a, a hidden story at all, but if you plug in education in Pennsylvania and nepotism, uh, you'll find that our state has really, really had a lot, a lot of problems with that, and really maybe more so in northeastern Pennsylvania. And, uh, you know, it's it's gotten a lot of publicity. There's been lots of articles about it. There's been, you know, especially over the last, I'd say, what, what would you think, Mary, 20, 30 years? About that. I, I think they're starting to clean it up now a little bit. I think it's harder for people to sneak a relative in there, but it's not unheard of. And uh, yeah, so what Dr. Fox is speaking of is 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 not is not rumors. It's not hearsay. It is factual challenges that we've had here in in Northeast PA. And I'll remind the callers: the number to call in is one eight eight six two seven six zero zero eight. And uh, you know, Mary, we haven't had any Collins yet. We got a shy audience. Uh, okay. uh, we're always working on it. Every show I get, hoping that some folks, you know, kind of call in and just put their questions out there. But I still fill up, fill it up with a lot of talk and a lot of. I hope, hopefully, you know, things that will inspire people to be better workers, and uh, you know, and team workers, and and really really challenge themselves to grow, you know, as a professional and person in, in their in their careers. Well, those shy listeners that are out there, and I'm sure a lot of you have the passion that David and I have and uh, probably younger and uh, want to make a difference. And my advice to you, uh, whether you're a teacher or uh, an assistant principal or principal, uh, or even a paraprofessional that's taking courses at night and uh, wants to become a teacher, that if you feel strongly about what's right, even if it's suggesting an innovative program or if it's suggesting a strategy 
for less noise in the cafeteria. Uh, you have to be strong, and you have to get your game on top and outlast the opposition. So the opposition is going to be sometimes the principal, sometimes the superintendent. But uh, before I would uh, leave any place, I really tried to outlast that opposition. And um, at the time when you have to discern whether you should move on to another district or whether you should, you should stay there, uh, you'll feel really good about yourself knowing that you've done everything you possibly can. So I uh, just want to be clear to the listeners out there that, you know, it's never an easy road. Any job is difficult, and you always have to answer to somebody. And uh, I guess we talk about bullying in the schools um, with the students, but one of the things that David and I experienced was uh, a lot of bullying in our positions. And <laughs> I was a director of special education, and David was a school psychologist. So, uh, you know, it wasn't even that... Uh, you know, we were in any of those lower positions uh, because if we were bullied like that, can you even imagine how the maintenance man or the cleaning ladies were bullied? So um, do what you can and uh, try to make a difference. And if you're lucky, you'll get uh, someone that will be a companion instead of a competitor because that's another thing I find when you have several principals in uh, school system, uh, they become competitive with each other. And you can't accomplish anything with that. Everyone has to be working toward the same goal, making the best better. So those are my thoughts on that, and I, I hope that there are listeners out there with our passion that they will listen to that advice. Well, well, you know, the I've had I've dealt with that quite a few times in my career, you know, the, the bullying behaviors from adults and, and I've done pretty well with it. I really, it's really a fascinating thing when you could break through that and get people on the same page because some people don't even realize they're doing it. Uh, but there are those that, you know, you and I know that we just could not change and then you have to make a decision. But, uh, I always try to get past that and help the person past that with just honest, honest feedback and just keep doing my job and keep showing that I'm here for the children. And, you know, there have been times in my career where, where we've been able to align and, and people have been able to get on the same page. But it really is a it's a tough thing. And, and I think, you know, we we're going to have opposition in our jobs. We're going to have you know, other other teachers that we disagree with. In my field, it might be other school psychologists, but that's healthy. Like you can have healthy disagreements and and hopefully they're healthy. I know sometimes we have problems with their peers and I'll be honest with you, there, there's a time or two in my career where I was a problem and had to address it. But I know that, you know, we're going to have opposition sometimes with parents, between parents in the school. So there's certain things that are just going to come and we have to know how to deal with them because they're just part of the job. And we're certainly going to have opposition with some kids and especially our teens at times. But but those are just ex expected parts. But the, the saddest thing for me, I'll, I'll tell you the saddest and the most joyful thing for me to see with teachers is a new teacher with that passion and just the eyes twinkling, and they just love their job, and by year three, it's gone. Yeah. 
And on the other end of the spectrum, we'll see a teacher who's in teaching for 35 years, 38 years, and people are saying, when are you going to retire? When are you going to retire? And they're saying, why would I want to retire? I love this job. So you, right. have, you have some people that have learned how to navigate it and, and, and address it, and then other people, like, especially our young folks, it's just a shame to see that passion go. And, uh, and you know, I think there's people out there that know what we're talking about, and it's just sad. It's just sad to lose good people when, you know, when it, all it would have taken would be some teamwork and some some support. And you know, you know, maybe maybe the job isn't for everybody too. But I'd known some good people that left the schools uh, that were just you know major losses for for the children. And I knew many myself, and I think that I always tried to lead by example, and by leading. By example, uh, the most important thing is how you treat others. There's always going to be different personalities that you have to deal with. But so often I encountered uh, the person that went to school and got all those certifications to become a superintendent, and it was all about power. And uh, for me, it was about shared leadership, uh, showing a good example, being a good listener. Uh, and then when I encountered the opposite of me, I guess I would say, um, it was, you know, I don't have time to talk to you right now about that or uh, I don't want to have that in this school. And uh, not only that, uh, not treating people kindly. Although what I also found was those types of individuals had favorites, and that was something I never had. Uh, Again, you can't accomplish anything as a team if you have favorites. So, uh, But I I witnessed that many, many times uh, with principals having favorites, and uh, unfortunately, it was rarely the special education teachers that were the favorites. Uh, So that stigma kind of followed from the student right to the teacher if you were a special education teacher. And I certainly hope that's not the way it is today. Yeah, I think it, it might be a little bit better. But, you know, it's it's really, it's interesting because the superintendent, it is such a difficult job. And I would just think, and if there's any superintendents listening, please know, you know, that we understand it's an incredibly difficult job. And and uh, we have a high respect for that position. Uh, the, the situations we're talking about is when superintendents made the job more difficult for themselves by doing those kinds of things. I mean, ideally, you know, people in leadership positions want to surround themselves with other good people because because of the amount of stress and things that they go through. So I, I just I, sometimes I don't understand how things can go so awry in in those upper level leadership things but uh, i'm hoping hoping that things are better and you know if you're in a school district that's having that challenge you just you know people have to be honest and fight their way through it and uh you know i know that the situation that dr murphy and i are talking about that was resolved it was many years later unfortunately uh, but, you know, Mary, what I talk to people about is I call it a legacy program about transitioning their school. And I don't have a fancy acronym for it. I just say, you know, 
if you're interested in it, it'll be a two to three year program. It's not easy, but we've got to take on all these kinds of issues. And you, you know what the first thing, and you'll, you'll, you might get a kick out of this. I tell them the first thing that has to be done, and it really, if they're talking about starting this next school year, they have to introduce this to all the staff, the students, and the board now. And it's getting the scourge of the public school system out the doors. And you know what that is? Cell phones. <laughs> right. I've been I've been talking about that for years. And now, you know, they're coming up with studies. And like I say, you know, research is an incredibly, it's a wonderful tool. It's a wonderful thing. But there's some things you just, there's, this is why I titled this show on common sense, you know, after my book, because do we really need people to tell us that when you bring a phone in, <laughs> into the school and all children have it, that uh, it's going to be a good thing and it's not going to cause any interruptions. Don't worry about it. It just, it was a silly thing. It was technology that got ahead of us. And now they're doing studies of about what happens when you take that away from children. And I just saw one in the paper a week or two ago that said that children in a school district or in a school were challenged to not have their cell phones for one week. And after that week, they were saying how the kids were saying it was, it actually turned out better than they thought because they were having more interactions with their their friends and they were valuing those more. But like, I always got that. I always said like, without these things, like these things are interrupting the social, the, the social values and, and interactions of children and development. But they're also taking the, what they're, they're affecting the, the teaching milieu of the school system, even though kids still go there to have fun with their peers. But that's supposed to be really mostly at recess, lunch times, before school, after school. It's not supposed to be during class time and in all the hallways. You know, so that's the first thing that has to happen. But all these other things you're talking about are things that we, we have to assess and take on and really instill, you know, safety, respect, and teamwork, you know, within the school settings and then between the home and school settings. So, it's, and this is something you're going to help us with, too, because you're going to remember this. I've been talking about homeschool relationships and what happens when you get a situation where you can't get the parents in. And sometimes that's born out of some poor decision that maybe a school did or a staff member said to them and the parents just got upset and wouldn't come back in. But I, I used the case where a, a family left a school system and the child had problems, their entire school system. And I got in that school when I was when this child was in high school. And when I saw the first problem blow up, I said, well, let's get the parents in. And they said, no, we can't do that. And I said, why? And he said, because they, they'll, they won't come in. And I said, well, when was the last time we had them in? And they said, in the second grade. There was a major blowout in the second grade. And I said, you... We could never accept that. And one of the examples I've given the people is when you and I worked together, if you remember this, we had a family that wouldn't come in. And it was there were several of the kids were really struggling. And we partnered with the children and youth. And still, there, the in all the districts and the places I've worked, that children and youth in that county was one of the first ones to agree to do this. I said, we've got a family that's refusing to come in. It can be looked upon as neglect 
for one thing. But what I what I said to him is, I don't want it to go that far. What I want you to do is, could you make a call to the family and say, listen, the school needs you in there. And it's possible they can pursue a neglect case if you don't come in. They don't want it to go to that. They don't want a full-blown investigation. They just want your partnership. And that children and youth service got it. And they said, David, absolutely, we'll do that. And we had a very positive result. Uh, we broke the barrier of at least uh, one parent coming in. You know, we can't always have everything we want, but we made progress. And, and that was really good for the eyes of the children, too. And I said, what that children and youth realized was that if we do this, we will be able to avert full-blown investigations when this gets way out of hand and we have to go into homes. They were foreseers. They, they were forward thinkers. I ex only experienced that one other time in a school district. Every other one I worked with said, you can't do that. We could never do that. And I said, no, you can if you wanted to. Yep. <laughs> said, no, you can't do that. Do you remember that? I do remember that. And that's what I'm saying. You have to outlast the opposition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, but for the parents that are listening out there, uh, and this, this is since I have uh, retired from direct service in a public school system, I think every parent during the first week of school should set up an appointment to meet their child's teacher, whether it's the homeroom teacher or the kindergarten teacher. But you have to be visible from that first week of school and by meeting that teacher, uh, you'll get a good impression of that teacher's personality. And I, I often say uh, all the squirrels aren't in the trees. Some of them are teachers in classrooms, and that's a disgrace. And that has to do with tenure, but uh, we won't get into that conversation tonight. But anyway, uh, it's very important for parents, even if you have, um, you know, a child that's number one in the class in third grade. Things could change in fourth grade just with the relationship between the child and that particular teacher. And we all yes. know when we went to school, we had uh, good years and bad years. And unfortunately, it's the teacher that makes or breaks those five hours a day. And sometimes those five hours are the best five hours a child has in a day because they go home to such dysfunction. Well, and then there's the, the, you know, we always had this issue with the open the open uh, house nights at the school when, when the kids come in, they meet with the teachers to see how they're doing. And what you're suggesting, the challenge is, usually the parents that go to those are, are the parents that, you know, the kids aren't having major problems. What, what we have to break through that barrier is the, the families that are a little more distrustful of the school, they haven't had a lot of good interactions with the school or the family has different kind of challenges. And the school has to reach out to them because they're not, it's highly unlikely if that's embedded in their their method of operations that they're going to all of a sudden one school year say, well, I'm going to get back involved with the school. The school and the school leadership needs to reach out and needs to kind of set forth the policy that we expect communication with all of our parents. We expect responses when we make phone calls. We expect attendance when we have meetings. And I think, you know, we, we, we have to do that. And, 
you also mentioned, you know, the issue about how teachers can change the the outlook on on a children's uh, uh, school year. We I talked a, it was a few weeks ago, maybe last month or the last show. We you, you know I, I touched on a few times about the issue of parents wanting to pick the teachers. And everybody wants the teachers that everybody talks about, that the kids all love and stuff. But there's a lot of teachers there that kids don't want to go into because a teacher is firm. Doesn't mean he or she's a bad teacher, but there's not a lot of fun. They're kind of stern, but they get the job done and they're wonderful teachers. The, the other thing that can happen is we, we, we still want our children to be able to address, adjust to different personalities so teachers are going to have different personalities, and a lot of times you'll see kids, especially kids, again, that have problems, and they, and they can't adjust to different personalities well, and there'll be a big conflict, and we'll say, well, you know, it's just, it's really a life lesson, uh, because when you go out in the, in the, in the, you know, the world post high school, and you, you're in the, an employee, or you're in a career, you're not going to be able to pick all the people that are around you, you're going to have to be able to figure out how to navigate those kind of challenges. And unless it's a teacher that, uh, and, you know, unfortunately we've had those two where it's a, it's a relatively small amount, but teachers that were just in the wrong field. And then you get into stuff is why are they still there? Why are they not being held accountable? What's the link and what's keeping them there? And I don't buy into that tenure argument. You, you may know my feelings on that too. Tenure does not protect a teacher for lifetime. If, if, a, if, if a person is really hurting children and hurting the reputation of a school, if a principal does their due diligence, that person can be released. But it takes a lot of work. And the person, that, that leader has to be strong and has to be ready to fight for the children. You know, it's just, it is what it is. It's a tough thing, but it can well, that be done. Goes, that goes back to uh, the evaluation process, and you're absolutely right. Uh, two consecutive unsatisfactories can lead to dismissal. However, right. uh, again, there are still some of those leftover nepotism teachers in classrooms, and then... The superintendent has to sign off on that, and I was in that situation twice, and those teachers uh, are still teaching. Yeah. So, you know, you have to be strong enough as an evaluator. Now, on, on the other hand, there were a couple of teachers that um, I gave uh, or evaluated, and they received an, an unsatisfactory and an improvement plan, and they adhered to the improvement plan, and uh, in fact, one uh, became a much better teacher, thanked me for that, and is now a principal. So um, there is a strategy that works with that. Yes, but yes. You know that um, negative connectedness, I don't know if that's a term, might be a new term I just coined, negative connectedness yeah. uh, between the teacher and the political party that got her the job prevents yeah. improvement. So that's yes. unfortunate. Well, that's the, uh, again, almost every career and, you know, 
even employment opportunities out there has its politics. And But what I always tell people, politics in the business world is different because it's affecting the bottom dollar. And usually the bottom dollar will win out, even if it's even if there's like nepotism, like the, the bottom line is the dollar and the dollar they'll they'll fire their mother. You know what I mean? Right. In, in the business world, in the human service world and in the field of education, our capital is our children. And and people don't look at it that way. So they don't they don't necessarily associate the damage being done as affecting the children. And it does. It 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 it, it really affects the whole school atmosphere, the perception of the school, and ultimately will burn out, you know, good principals, good teachers, and that just you know, when you talked about the trickle down theory you know, of, of wonderful leadership. It's, it's the same with really bad leadership, man. It just, it just starts coming down and raining down on people. And it's, it's a, it's a tough, it's a tough, uh, tough way to go through a career when you're not happy. And my goal with some of the things I'm talking about is let's bring some happiness and joy back into the school system for everybody. Uh, all the staff and the leaders and, and, and for the primary goal of, keeping those kids happy, safe, and wanting to be educated, you know, and, and having good relationships with the family. Let me remind the callers, it's one 627 6008 We have Dr. Uh, uh, Dr. Mary Murphy Fox online, and her c- contact number for consultation with school districts and uh, working with parents as an advocate who are struggling with navigating the public school system for a variety of reasons. Her contact uh, email is foxmm2004 at yahoo.com. The book that's given me the foundation for this show is Uncommon Sense Children in School. You can get that on Amazon. I have another Christian fiction novel out there called The Wisdom Child. You can get that on Amazon or on uh, exlibris.com. It's a Wisdom Child first book in my Wisdom Children series. Uh, those are all things that are connected to this. And, I, you know, Mary, what I tell people, of half of what I pull in from anything I make goes into my nonprofit, A Thousand Brothers. And you came to my event a few weeks ago. And yeah, I openly so. talk about my Christian faith. And I say I can navigate the public school system very well with it. Uh, but I'm pretty open about my Christian faith. And uh, Dr. Fox came to my event in a community a few weeks ago that I had a Christian message in response to uh, suicide or addiction, mental illness and suicide. And, and it was pretty intense. But, you know, when whatever we're doing isn't working and this goes to the schools that with things we're talking about, Mary, is when something isn't working. And you keep hitting your head on the door, the window. You, right. you, you've got to try something different, right? But I think, I think as a uh, springboard for your transition in schools, uh, I'm impressed with your school leadership message and pledge in your book on common sense. Yes. And if if everyone would take that pledge, yes, uh, take it to heart, and uh, somehow it could be enforced. I think you have your foot in the right direction, making a big change in these issues we've been talking about. Yeah, that was fun to write. I mean, I wrote that that book. It was bursting inside of me for quite a few years. But, you know, I had to have experience under my belt before I really 
really cooked on it. But when it first came out, I, I came out, I had to stop it. It had so many errors and problems with it, and I had to redo it and get it really ready before I re-released it. But, you know, I, I learned the hard way. I mean, I made my... I'll, I'll tell people what I did. I'll never forget. I was uh, It was my first year as a school psychologist, and I was down in Florida. And, you know, we have the conference room set up for meetings with families. And uh, I put myself at the head of the table. I thought the school psychologist was the, 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 was the main person in the room. And I'll never forget this. So I had a good friend, like halfway through the school year, that said, David, you know, there's other people at the table that are really important too, you know, cause I would just be blabbering about the evaluation and everything I found. And I took that feedback. It came in a way that I heard it very clearly. And it came from a compassionate coworker that wasn't trying to attack me. And I learned in that first year that in fact, I am not the most important person in those meetings. <laughs> it's always going to be the parent. Right. And that is right. that a parent is the one that's supposed to be at the head of that table. And I learned to keep my mouth shut until the lead person who would usually be the guidance counselor or a lead teacher would say, you know, Mr. Wilson's going to go over his results of his evaluation. Then I would say my my piece and I would find out in that meeting where else I could help this family and child. And I would go from there. But, it, you know, I I'm, I'm not I don't come on this program saying I didn't make my mistakes in my career. That's for sure. And really near the end of my career. When I was challenged with that real poor leadership and that negative energy, I succumbed a few times uh, to it and, uh, uh-huh. you know, not real proud of it and, and certainly went back to the table to clean it up. But it, it was so difficult. It was very, very hard to kind of move past. But but that just happens in the world. We're going to have situations like that. We still have to get our jobs done. But, uh, yeah, a lot of lessons learned over a good career. You know, we've got to be able to see those for ourselves too right 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 and there really are no mistakes just lessons to be learned and i made a lot of those along the way as well but i think the willingness to learn is what's important yeah absolutely absolutely hey tell us a little bit about uh your chicken soup for the soul uh well uh really interested in doing some spiritual writing and uh reviewed some of the topics that were available, and and again, I don't know, all of a sudden, I do play golf as a hobby, and so I thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to write something that uh, reflects what I find when I'm on a golf course as far as spirituality. So um, I wrote it and submitted it, and it was in the chicken soup for the golfer soul. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, it, it was just uh, something I never thought they would select because they have thousands of uh, yeah. submissions. I, I well, it's, a tribute, it's a tribute to your writing, and uh, for it's, sure. But um, it was fun to do, and uh, like yourself with Uncommon Sense, uh, somehow I ended up with a connection between spirituality and the game of golf, and sat down at the computer and <laughs> sent it yeah. off. There you go. And that's the other part of any career is you have to have a hobby outside of your career to balance your your mental energy, because 
we all need that. If, if something is stressing us, we have to have another part of our life that balances that out. And I don't know of anybody that can go through a career in the school system and not have a, a tough year here and there or whatever. But you have to have, you know, your personal life, uh, you know, going well for you. And at times when that doesn't, you we still need something to be going right. And a lot of times it's a hobby. And you, right. actually, I think you're more than just an average golfer, correct? Uh, <laughs> well, I've been golfing several years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think a while. But 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 that's your release, and you know, and it is, mine and was I, mine was I, some other things. You know, for a while it was piano. My younger years it was karate, and uh, uh, you know, I've I've always had something else going on the side that I can release that energy to. Fishing when I was in Alaska. And, you know, I always have to have something else, and that's really important for people to know. Is it's really a tough, a tough world if you don't have an outlet for your energy at times, and you know, outside of your job and your personal life. No matter what your job is, that's, that's right. Sure. That's right. And it's but it's more but especially now. when you're working with children. <laughs> right. 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 Well, Doctor Fox, I think at this point we're gonna. Start winding the show down. What, is there something you'd like to leave us with uh, before uh, you depart us and I finish out the show? Well, I've enjoyed chatting with you, and uh, hopefully our listeners have gained some insight into how they go about their uh, careers, and uh, hopefully they'll ponder some of what we discussed and maybe call in next time. Well, I would suspect that a lot of people connected to some of the things we're saying and and we just you know encourage people that you you know you can get through it, you do whatever you can to get through it, to recognize what's happening and and come out on the other end and keep fighting for children. I always, you know, keep your eyes on the prize and our capital is our children, the investment in our children and if you do that, you may come to a decision you need to move on. Or you may figure out a way to make it work for you where you're at and communicate with your leadership. But uh, you keep your eyes on the prize and everything will be okay in the end, right? Absolutely. All right, Dr. Fox, we will talk to you soon. I'm going to give all your contact information again. It's uh, written down here. It's Fox, F-O-X, mm2004 at yahoo.com and dr fox is available to do you know consultation with school districts and she'll also represent parents as an advocate when they're struggling with the difficulties of navigating the public school system and she primarily works out of northeast and south p southeast pa but i'm sure if you contacted her she might be able to steer you in some kind of direction uh, uh, or give you some helpful hints uh, to get you moving in the right direction. She's a good, good person, and uh, I'm proud to call her a friend and glad that I, we crossed paths early in my career and, and, and pretty early in her career as well. So, Well, thank you, David, and I am available for a free phone consult, so if you do contact me by my email, include your phone number, and maybe I can help you through that consult. Very good. Thank you so much, Mary. Have a good night. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, ladies and gentlemen, listeners, that was my first guest. And, uh, you know, a lot of times people say, uh, 
when we when we're in the school system and we're looking for somebody to speak on a subject and to say, well, the, the the expert has to be 50 miles or more away because people generally don't accept some accept somebody in the school district doing a presentation on an area, and like we have so many gold mines right in our backyard. If you're in a school district, there are people right there in your school district that are incredible, you know, maybe unpolished, uh, uh, what do they call them, gems. Uh, give them a chance. Uh, I mean, there was there were teachers that I knew that just should have been on the stage doing in-service and, and different things. But, you know, the districts and sometimes, like I said, they'll only consider you an expert if you come from 50 to 100 miles away or more. And uh, we, a lot of times, have wonderful people right in our backyards. And when I was thinking about putting this together and starting to interview people, I thought for my first one, it would be somebody that I know well uh, and and can relate to her. And we had, you know, some really good, interesting experiences together. She's right here, folks. She was right here all along. And I just uh, said, I got to call Mary, Dr. Fox, up and see if she'll if she'll take this on and uh she was more than willing, and there. I don't know if I know anybody on that level. With her position was, I had another friend who was a wonderful, wonderful special education director. She's retired in Florida now. I may get her on at some point. But please look at the people around you, and maybe even yourself. You want to hone your leadership skills in an area that you have to offer your school, but uh, don't sell yourself short and. Please give other people chances when, when, when you, or even recommend them for in services because you see the skills that maybe some other people don't see. But we've got to access, uh, you know, the expertise we have right in our backyard because it's there, it's there, right, right there all the time. We don't have to set up an in service for the end of the year and call somebody in. We've got people right there that are very skilled and talented. But again, it's that ego, you know, when we talked about that in past shows, letting that ego go, you know, before you enter enter the the the, the school, and then all things will be good. You base your decision on your capital and who it's your capital, your capital is your children. And uh, without them you wouldn't be there. And without you, they're not going to be as successful as they can be. So let's keep fighting for those children. And the call-in number, I know we're, we're getting close to the end of the show, but uh, the call-in number is one 627 6008 The book that spawned my thoughts about this show is called Uncommon Sense, Children in School. I have another book called The Wisdom Child, first book in the Wisdom Children series, and that's at exlibris.com and Amazon as well, I believe. But when you plug in a Wisdom Child, you have to also plug in first book in the Wisdom Children series uh, to find it, and there'll be more of those books. I'm working on them as we speak. But the main one is Uncommon Sense Children in School. If you like what you're hearing on these shows, that's where they all come from, and uh but those are just my ideas. I've got to get callers calling in to share your gifts and graces with the audience because I in no way uh, have all the answers. You know, I've had a good career, a successful career, and I can do some writing. But there's other really talented people out there right there in your schools. And you can be calling in and, 
challenging some of my assumptions and we can come to agreement sometimes on even a better way. But when the goal is always on the children, the ego is not involved because I get amazed sometimes when somebody gives me a new idea and I realize it, it may be a better one than the one I had. It's like, wow, I'm thankful for that anymore. But it takes a while to get to that point. It takes a lot of work. Uh, so, so please know that, that uh, there's no, you know, if there's some inhibitions on calling in and, you know, what to expect, you know, your comments and your thoughts are going to be respected and let's merge together and kind of hone things out. And I may be able to give you some direction or you may be able to share something that other listeners will con connect to. That's the gift of, of, of a show like this on the internet radio broadcast is you've got other listeners out there that can be on the other side of the country in another country and you're sharing something by calling in that can inspire and motivate somebody else on the other side of the world, on the other side of the country, in another state. So really give yourself some credit. Uh, I'm going to start having some guest speakers, but my joy would be having people call in on that number, the one 627 6008 and we can start having dialogues together. We could start talking about my... my uh, my thoughts on the uh, legacy school program and what it takes to get there and why it's why it's not a little acronym and we can't do it in one you know the the first half of the first you know school year well because good things take time you know good things take time and uh, I I really believe it would be about a two to three year program and then. Your school is on the way. Once you get those roots reestablished, if things have gotten off track and people start fighting for that, you can be proud that you were a part of that change. And where we don't worry about uh, a school shooter, a potential school shooter in the school, because we're identifying kids on the fringes. We don't worry about staff burnout and teacher burnout and losing good teachers because it's a half year safer setting. We don't worry about frustrated parents so much and them always being angry with, with school personnel because they now feel welcome and invited. And they know that they're not going to be, you know, attacked or judged when they come in. They're, you know, uh, there's so many good things that can come out of this fight. It's the good fight. And, you know, everything, everything, everything comes back down to the best possible environment, educational, social and behavioral environment for these children and in our world today man we're we're hurting i mean just pick up the newspaper listen to the radio and, and it you almost have to turn it off and, and i know we just had another school shooting incident and guarantee you that uh the signs were there again they're almost always there i rarely say never and i almost never say always but uh they are almost always there so uh Please take heed to that appeal. I'll be back on in two weeks, and I may have another guest speaker, or I may just be excited and hopeful that uh, my callers are going to start calling in, and uh, we're going to start sharing the dialogue. We're going to start sharing sharing the dialogue to all of our other listeners. So please consider that in two weeks. Get your friends on board, 
and uh, look up my book on Common Sense Children in School on Amazon and write the call-in number down at one 627 6008 and we'll be on our way in two weeks, my friends. Two weeks, which would be, uh, yeah, we're coming into December. We'll be a little bit, you know, uh, before your break for the holidays, for Christmas. But it's all good, my friends. And I appreciate you listening in one more time on Uncommon Sense Children in School. And I know Dr. Fox appreciated it. So God bless my listeners. If you are an atheist. Just know I wish you very well. Just interpret that as I wish you the best and hope the best for you. Uh, we'll see you in a couple weeks. Good night. <laughs>